On this season, we're not going to be doing long intros anymore. Hopefully at this point you know what this project is about and all of the disclaimers therein. Regardless, you can check out the trailer for Season 3 if you want to hear more rationale for what this season is about. On today's episode, I have Angela Lee joining me. On this episode, we talk about femininity and womanhood and what that looks like in 21st century America. Angela has a lot of thoughts on how we can live this out, how it's practical, and what even the Bible says about all of this. So I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. Let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm sitting here with Angela, and we're going to be talking about femininity, which is a really hard word to say. Yeah, it is, <laughs> um, surprisingly. Yeah, and womanhood, um, and what that all means um, for especially Christians, but even just, I mean, beyond that in American culture. Um, but before we get into that, Angela, could you just maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Whatever you want to share, you can mm-hmm. share. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, I am married to a beautiful Korean man named mm-hmm. Paul. He's incredible. Um, we have two children. I have a bonus daughter, Lizzie. She's nine. And I ha- we have a 10-month-old, Justice. And we are expecting another baby uh, next oh. May. So super <laughs> exciting. You can pray my strength. I'm going to have two <laughs> kids under two. So that will be a whole thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I've been in full-time ministry as a pastor for the last about eight years years or so. Um, but before that, I spent about six years of my career life um, in nonprofit work. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of education reform, mm-hmm. a lot of grant writing, a lot of program management for after school programs. Um, and yeah, I'm just really passionate about the next generation. And so on mm-hmm. my, it seems like most of my life has always pointed to that end. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's been sweet. And so I live um, up near Pasadena, which is mm-hmm. a dream. Yep. <laughs> if you had asked me 10 years ago if I thought I'd live in California, I would say absolutely Where were you not. at before California? I was in Texas for five mm-hmm. years and I, I'm an East Coast baby. So okay. for me, I grew up in Connecticut. And <laughs> I mean, totally not when you look at me and be like, Connecticut, it's just very like, <laughs> doesn't make sense. But my dad's job moved us a lot. Got so. It. Got it. so I feel like I have a pretty good flavor of America, like just all over me because I also like spent <laughs> nine years in the South and anyway, yeah. a whole bunch of things. But yeah, um, yeah I think it was interesting growing up as a black and Puerto Rican female in both the South and then in the North mm-hmm. and then in the Midwest and then mm-hmm. now in the west coast it's been quite a journey but yeah that's that's yeah. me kind of in yeah. a nutshell i'm uh, excited to hear how seeing women yeah and all those different cultures and all the different stereotypes i mean Absolutely. a california woman has a stereotype a texas woman has a stereotype an east coast a south woman there's mm-hmm. there's stereotypes all over the place so many <laughs> um so i'm excited to, excited to kind of parse those out and see what Absolutely. we think is good mm-hmm. um so before we get into maybe what femininity is or talking about how that relates to our culture what were you taught about what it means to be a woman growing up yeah that's a really great question um growing up I was really taught that it was a couple things. And I think through therapy and I think just like deconstructing it, I was really taught a couple things. One, I was taught that a woman should never need a man Mm -hmm. um, to be able to survive. So education was super important. Having a job was super important. Being able to have my own car and be able to drive and take Mm -hmm. care of myself and know how to use tools like that stuff was really important. But then on the other side of that um, was definitely um, ladylike features. So my parents had us in different groups and and organizations that taught us about like how to use silverware properly and how to sit at a fancy restaurant. My mom tried to teach us all about that and I didn't retain any of it. Shoot. (laughs) 
I retained the don't put your elbows on the table. That's the only thing. And maybe like put the napkin on your lap. And I don't even do that all the time. Totally. So I failed. Well, I failed those classes. Here's the thing. If you're at a fancy restaurant with somebody who really cares about you, they should help you along. So if they really care about you, now that's how you like, gauge your friends. I don't know if I can afford to ever go into a fancy restaurant. So I don't think yeah. this is ever going to have to come into fruition. <laughs> Look, you just never know. I mean, the Lord is funny that way. He that's could be true. like, hey, I've got a new sponsor for you. And you have okay. to go to the fanciest restaurant. You ever been to like a really nice Chick Fil A or yeah, high end? Dude, something. I want to go to a fancy Chick Fil A. You want, imagine eating <laughs> your chicken tenders with a fork and knife. I wouldn't feel right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it was the grilled it chicken. Feel like sacrilege. Yeah. It was the grilled chicken. That makes sense because yeah. you're healthy with the kale salad. Not you yeah. know. I don't even know if they have that on the menu anymore. But I don't. I don't know. I don't eat salads, so <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. Colton, I need to like your I, life expectancy well, to go. I mean, up. I eat vegetable. Well, I try to eat vegetables. I eat a lot of fruit. Okay. Okay. So I mean, I've mentioned this. I'm Italian, so yeah. we eat carbs. Uh huh. We eat meat yes. and we eat fruit. Right. That's the that's the cuisine of the Mediterranean. And totally. then they have like eggplant, but eggplant is gross. Um, so yeah. I never developed a taste for salad. It's the one healthy food for the most part that I just can't get around. People are like, well, no, look, I'll make the right salad. But then it's just like ranch and chicken. And I'm like, then it's not that's healthy not anymore. Healthy. It's like a McDonald's salad. Yeah. Yeah. That's anyway. no better. Right. Well, I don't know where we were going. I think we were talking about what were you taught about? I think I was <laughs> what taught it means to be a about woman. what it. Yes, that's right, lady. <laughs> being silverware. a lady, yeah. <laughs> silverware, right? So my parents had us in circles like that, where basically we were, you know, taught how to be prim and proper, and that that's mm-hmm. what ladies do. And along with that came, and I also was grew up in the church, and so along with that came with came modesty and how to dress and how mm-hmm. to cover my body, and um, that modesty is lady being ladylike, and mm-hmm. you know, ladies don't cuss, which you know fail but it's fine um or ladies don't do this or they don't act this way in in public and you know there's a whole there's a lot of layers to that but i think as i've deconstructed that's what it really boiled down to was that i needed to be both independent and strong Mm -hmm. but i also needed to be dainty right so Mm -hmm. that i could have the appearance of still needing you know Mm -hmm. help because that's what a man's job is right so um so yeah. there's a lot to that. But that was really, I think if I look at the narratives of my life growing mm-hmm. up, those were really the two loudest messages that I received. Yeah, that's interesting. Because when I think of like the cultural stereotypes that I grew up, I grew up in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I'm in a very Mormon, white, conservative, yeah. Christian kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of the independence was taught. Mm-hmm. The dainty stuff was definitely taught. And I think there was like some underpinnings of like, be independent. Yeah, you should get a degree i guess but it was almost like you're just kind of waiting for the man to to take you up and provide you're waiting to start a family your role is to be a mother and a nurturer Mm -hmm. which it was really highly esteemed and not like degraded in any way but it was still that was the kind of thing so that's that's interesting to have for that's like two conflicting things in american culture of like hey be independent have your own car you know be able to take yourself to school but also, like, then pretend like you need it <laughs> yes. at the same time. So confusing. Yeah. It's yeah. so confusing. But I think, too, like, that's what it, it – and I think part of that, too, was culturally for me. So being black and Puerto yeah. Rican, like, those are yeah. two messages that, like, you know, black women, I think, specifically in the East and in the, on this, in the South, were t- like, we were just conditioned to be let down. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't afford to have, you know, to go without education. We couldn't mm-hmm. afford to not have our own man- means, right? Yeah. And then I think from the Puerto Rican side, that is the same thing um, where mm-hmm. my, for my mom, education wasn't valued in her family. So she hyper valued it with us and as her children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then it was, it, it's a funny thing because <laughs> I was taught 
you know, have your own voice and use it and you're strong and all this and be articulate, but sh- 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 not right now. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a lot mm-hmm. of, it was a lot of that. Um, it's like, wait, that. wait, we're preparing you for this opportunity when that will all come to fruition. But then mm-hmm. it felt like it never no. came. It's like, be independent, mm-hmm. be strong, be educated, be all these things. Mm-hmm. But then every time for a chance that you show that off, it's like, like, hold mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, hold not up. yet. Not yet. Yeah. You're a leader and we believe in you, but not, yeah. not in this space. Not right now. <laughs> Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, a popular buzzword today in American culture is toxic masculinity. There's Gillette commercials that are about razors, but about <laughs> not being a jerk of a man, right. um, which causes a lot of fights. Apparently, it's interesting that a, a commercial about nonviolence, in a sense, or just being a better man, mm-hmm. led to like visceral things. Anyway, you know, welcome um, to America. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to the America system that we are in today. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Is there such a thing as like the opposite, not the opposite, but the flip side of that? Is there toxic femininity? Mm. Would you say there's like this this cultural kind of way of being a a woman and being feminine that's toxic? Yeah, I think the two words that come to my mind when I think about a toxic femininity is any time that this word femininity or whatever definitions you've given it are then used to oppress and manipulate women mm-hmm. um i think specifically sadly i see it the most in the church um especially when it comes to ideas of purity and modesty mm-hmm. um and this is a girl's role in in her home and all of this i think whenever it's used to oppress i think that is when it is absolutely the most toxic because mm-hmm. at that point then you are not just oppressing the woman but you're oppressing the image of god in her and whatever mm-hmm. god has mm-hmm. given her and whatever mm-hmm. he's done with her and i think um you know let's just take modesty for example um i'm a proponent for modesty i think uh, i like to use the term cute and covered for example <laughs> um because i believe that our bodies are sacred and holy and a temple of the most high god and guess what um, nobody gets a peaky unless we put on that ringy. Like for sure, nobody that's how I feel. <laughs> um, and my daughter will tell you that's how I feel. Like, but I'm like, but you. That doesn't mean you need to be in a floor length dress with no makeup because mm-hmm. I love makeup. I love doing my hair. Mm-hmm. I love all those things that make me feel pretty. You know, and that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But I love those things. But that doesn't mean that I have to like. Yeah, I think that anytime you then use that piece of modesty in the church to then shame women Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you don't know their story you don't know where they're coming Mm -hmm. from you don't know what their association with clothing is you don't know what their association with their body is is in behind clothing you have no idea right and so then you come into somebody's life with no relationship and no investment whatsoever and you bring the shame and guilt come on like that's like to me that's just the most oppressive and i think that that is where it gets really toxic because then you have women who you know at I don't ever want to judge somebody's motives and their intention, but what it ends up resulting in the fruit that comes from that is you end up having these women that who think that they're creating community within their body of faith, but mm-hmm. they end up ostracizing women and they mm-hmm. end up ostracizing uh, the same women that they're trying to like draw in and draw close to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, and this is the worst part, what you do is you paint a picture of who Jesus is and what he says about her through the way you treat her and through the way through the shame and the guilt that you bring into her life to me that's completely unacceptable i think especially as a pastor in the church i feel very protective of that of man that just can't be the story that we're telling Mm -hmm. so toxic femininity is almost women and again no shame because that we're trying against that yeah for sure um, but women who have maybe bought in to the false stereotypes that maybe men and leadership structures have set up and so Mm -hmm. now instead of the men who are trying to shame women because of modesty or purity, mm-hmm. women now are that voice because mm-hmm. they bought into the lie. I mean, I 
I don't want to get into politics and I don't want to get into so many aspects of this. Um, but I, that's, I mean, if I see toxic femininity, it's, it's when women are repeating false male stereotypes. It's when women are, def- again, I've brought this up a few times and I, I feel comfortable bringing this one up, although I won't dive too far into it. Okay. It's when women defend uh, our president's statements that as locker room comments. We're the ones that are right. degrading towards women. Right. Now, regardless right. of his policies, whatever, you can think whatever. But yeah. in terms of that one statement, it's, it's when women step up and say, oh, no, that's fine to say you can grab women that way. That's uh-huh. when I think mm-hmm. that's toxic feminine. But I don't think yeah. that's not them that started that idea. No. They are embracing a toxic masculine <laughs> voice oh, yeah. as, a, as a way of doing it. So in a sense, <laughs> toxic femininity in some ways comes from toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. It's um, the root of it. I mean, yeah. it comes from, I mean, if you think about it, if we think about it in the church and the culture, in the church, it's coming from these patriarchal this patriarchal theology right uh-huh. that we that women have been raised in that you know if you, when you have like an honest and pure heart like you're you're taking it as the truth because like mm-hmm. your whole life you've just been raised like this is god's mm-hmm. word and this is what how we're supposed to follow it and like bless your heart you actually might not you legitimately yeah. might just not yeah, yeah. know any better and then i think in, in culture it comes from a place of acceptance you can look at your situation and say i'm not i'm it's either going to lead to acceptance or rejection right what i say in this moment will especially depending on my cultural context will either lead me to a place of acceptance amongst my peers or rejection Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean nine times out of ten we're always going to choose a place of acceptance and so you'll repeat those narratives Mm -hmm. right you'll you'll affirm those that bad those bad narratives um those toxic narratives because Mm -hmm. you just don't want to be rejected yeah and we're not it's not like we're saying that someone who is contributing to toxic femininity or contributing to toxic masculinity that they're inherently knowingly intentionally doing it right it's more they were raised in the system Mm -hmm. and it's almost like they're trapped in it as well like they're a victim in this whole thing as well although they Mm -hmm. may be using it in a kind of almost a shaming way Mm -hmm. and it's like i think of i mean i think of my own story i probably had a lot more toxic narratives in terms of masculinity and femininity and even i mean still in my heart today there's aspects that still have to be undone even with Mm. racism and different things like that it's not that i'm intentionally trying to be a bad masculine man right it's rather i was raised in this culture i didn't know any better and some authority figures reinforce those narratives because they didn't know any better Mm -hmm. and it's just this vicious cycle that we're all trapped in and then you get to 45 and you believe this for 45 years it can't be wrong then right Right. Um, so I need to, I need to back up whoever does something, you know, like locker room talk. I need to back up because yeah. that's just what is okay because mm-hmm. that's what it's been. And so it's, it's almost like this, this trap, we're all trapped in it. Yeah. Um, it's no one's fault necessarily, mm-hmm. but it can be your fault when you become a perpetrator of increasing that culture oh or, or inflicting pain. Yeah. Um, that stuff grieves my heart. If I'm honest, I think, mm-hmm. I think especially when, to, to your point when you have people that end up staying stuck in those systems staying stuck in those cycles um and it's unknowing because also then your circles become that much smaller right so mm-hmm. then there's very limited opportunity for exposure to a different way and there's different uh, there's limited opportunity to be, to be exposed to people who live different than you who think differently mm-hmm. than you who might vote differently than you mm-hmm. um and then and then that just, again, it just perpetuates the mm-hmm. cycle. So that stuff, I mean, it truly does grieve my heart. Oh, yeah. And I'm with you. I mean, I have a big heart for women in the church, women in our culture, just because I see how patriarchal it still is. And people hate that word. So maybe just male preference, male normativity. Yeah, um, in those a are sense. great words. Yeah. Um, just because I don't want to have people stop listening just because they hear <laughs> patriarchy and it's like, that yeah. doesn't exist. It's like yeah. when you say racism, it's like, well, that doesn't exist. And so you have to use different words. But yeah. 
I mean, when I think of like women in the church, I know so many voices who have been stifled. And there's a whole podcast I have on complementary egalitarian gender roles. So yeah, we're not going to get too sure. far into it. Totally. We don't have um, to. Yeah. But I mean, if I, in like my own life, my sister was a very strong woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the outspoken, loud. She would win the burping contest awesome. in middle school group and high school group. Uh, but she'd be the one that asked the tough question of the pastor, like the questions of what do we do with people who have never heard all the like tough theological questions. That was her. But since she was a little rough around the edges, she didn't have many friends. Guys were scared of her. They were simultaneously scared of her and attracted to her <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Always um, the friend, never the girl. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, and my mom, I mean, most mothers I know are really the spiritual leaders of their family mm. um, and just the culture win because a lot of men are pretty checked out or just drained mm. from work. And so I've been around so many powerful women and nurturing women, women who have grown most of the people. Mm. Um, but yet we still live in a culture that it's you know, male only is supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not complementarianism. Complementarianism can be a healthy, equal balance um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But it's almost this this patriarchal underpinning, this kind of whisper of male normativity yeah. even. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. anyway, so thinking about all this, um, I know someone might be listening to this and they say, well, I thought like it was really good. I thought like women are just supposed to be more nurturing and reserved <laughs> and mm-hmm. kind of all these things. So what would you say to that? Um, like yeah. are women just supposed to be like nurturing? Is that their default setting is to be nurturing and more reserved and more? I don't want to use the word submissive because then it'll trigger everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I mean, I think aspect, that's real. I think calling yeah. calling out the elephant in the room, I think specifically with that word. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. I think that. I think that that is that is the bill of goods that we are sold in the church as <laughs> women, true. and so, um, dude, I I feel so passionate about this because one, I'm I don't want to I want to make it very clear I do not believe in my heart that it, that those things are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think um, I am so I love Enneagram and I know you're Mm -hmm. big into it too. I'm a one on the Enneagram. And so me being a reformer, being a perfectionist, all of those things caused me to um, with first glance or in first first conversations, I know I'm bold. I can be a little bit of a Mm -hmm. a little bit abrasive for sure. I'm critical. Um, But (laughs) if you, but when I like hold my baby, my 10 month old, if she is like, there is nothing more on this earth that I want to do than make her feel so loved and cared mm-hmm, for and mm-hmm. seen and like, and there's so much tenderness in me to give to her. And I've, I've felt that same way with every single youth student that I've ever mm-hmm. had. And so I think even in my own experience, what I've learned and what I would say to anybody who comes to me and says, isn't this supposed to be the paradigm of, of mm-hmm. Christian women? Mm-hmm. Then I would say that would be like the whole body of Christ being legs. Mm-hmm. Like we can't all be the same yeah. because then we're not fully um, experiencing all of the expressions of God. We're, we're actually going to be missing out on the fullness of God yeah. and the Imago Dei in all of us if um, we all make these tweaks and changes and mold into this frame that might not be who we are. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're neglecting these pieces of our personality and of our mm-hmm. psyche that God intentionally put into us. Um, this weekend, somebody was so kind. They gave me a cross stitch of me and my family. Mm. And it's so beautiful. And one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at it was um, the cross stitch is so precise. 
Like you have to have each box mm-hmm. right where it's supposed to be. The colors are supposed to be where they're mm-hmm. supposed to be. There's not one thing. It's and way if, out of my creative yeah, mind. <laughs> I can't do it because it takes so much like there's, there's focus and precision uh-huh. that goes into mm-hmm. that. And if we think about it that way, man, that's how the Lord knit each and every one of us in our wombs. He knit me with this deep raspy voice. He knit me mm-hmm. to be five, nine as a woman. Like mm-hmm. he knit me with this, with this like fire in my belly that I can't, I could never shake even if I wanted to. Um, and he, he knit me in my mother's womb with a leadership gift. Mm-hmm. And so none of those fe- things fall into the words that you mm-hmm. just said mm-hmm. of like meek and mild and submissive and <laughs> yeah. quiet. Like yeah. I couldn't be that if I wanted to. And if mm-hmm. I did try to be that man, it would send me into such a, a sad place because I would be just neglecting these things that are just innate in me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I will never say to a woman, you know, who is those things that, Oh, that's the wrong way. Cause that's not true. If that's how God gifted you, some of my best friends are those women um, mm-hmm. and I love them for it. Yeah. And they bring a tenderness to my life yeah. that I learn from and I glean from all the time and that make me better as a wife and a pastor and a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shouldn't be everybody. It yeah. can't be everybody. Yeah. And so maybe it's not necessarily that those are bad things. Those mm-hmm. are wrong things. Mm-hmm. It's just when it's forced things. Yeah. That's when we run into trouble. I mean, I think of. Or when I'm told that that brings me closer to Jesus. Yeah. When I'm yeah. told that's that. That's the best. That's the ideal woman. Right. Um, right. You can be a different kind of woman. You're just not meeting the ideal. And when I think of, I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to get to the Bible here in a second. When I think of the Bible, I feel like we have more of a, we're almost importing a Victorian view of women mm-hmm. onto the Bible's portrayal of women. That's a great way to describe um, it. Because, yeah. I mean, if, if you have ever met a Jewish woman, um, and again, I'm not going to stereotype or generalize, but they're not, like, when we think of, oh, you know, the women in the Bible were, like, meek and submissive and nurturing and caring, and I'm like, have you met a Mediterranean woman? Right. Have you they, met a I mean, mom, the, the, the culture, I mean, I'm from the Mediterranean culture. I mean, mm-hmm. fourth removed or whatever. We're loud. <laughs> the women are strong. They they talk back. Like, mm-hmm. they voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. They're, they are nurturing, but they're way more the, the dominating kind of figure. Mm. Um, and so it's almost like when we go to the Bible, we take the Victorian view. And that's like when the, it doesn't explain when the Bible is silent on maybe the woman's personality. Yeah. We just import the Victorian long dress, flowing, you know, corset kind of meek and just gracefully floating through. It's almost like one of those uh, Tampax commercials where they're just like <laughs> frolicking through yes, the flowers. When they're on their period. Where yeah. I'm like, that is not real life. <laughs> is that not what you want to do when you're on your period? It's just kind no, of No, give me some gracefully. sweats and some chocolate and a couch <laughs> and a heating pad, okay? Because I'm angry, Colton. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Well, I don't completely understand. <laughs> I was say, wait. But I understand because, yeah. yeah, I have a lot of friends. Um, yes, you do. And they, my women friends are very open um, <laughs> and honest, and I appreciate that. It's great. Um, but maybe let's go to the Bible. Yeah. Does the Bible say anything about femininity and womanhood? Is it silent? Is there an ideal model kind mm-hmm. of what 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 is going on in the Bible in terms of women um, that we can draw from? Well, as I think about that question, um, I'm drawn. I've always been drawn to figures, and I've never really been. I've always been given the definition of a woman of God as the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's. Mm-hmm. That is how. That's who she's supposed to be. But which is funny because the Proverbs 31 woman 
when I think of that mm-hmm. in my upbringing, it's the Victorian woman. Right. It's not what the scripture says in Proverbs. When I no. have read Proverbs 31 now as an adult, mm-hmm. I'm like, what the H-E double hockey? St- I don't swear in the podcast. I haven't yet. I've made it so okay. far. And as an eight, that's really wow, hard for me. Wow, that's a big deal. Because <laughs> we Good just like to be you. vulgar yeah. and explicit just to, yeah, anyway. Just to but make a point. It's fine. When you read Proverbs 31, mm-hmm. it's nothing like what was in my head about what Proverbs 31 was. I used to use mm-hmm. it as a joke to mm-hmm. like... Tell them you have to be a Proverbs 31 woman because I, I thought it was like this graceful whatever mm-hmm. woman. But I'm, now I'm realizing as an adult, it's like, whoa, that's not anything like mm-hmm. what we picture in our head of this meek, modest, pure, graceful, submissive. No, she's hard. She's hard working. She's yeah. all this. Like she's right. But I think when scripture is, again, manipulated and used to oppress, mm-hmm. preachers can make it. Say anything they wanted to say. And they have. Right. <laughs> and they still do. <laughs> right. And so. Have you read Revelation? It's talking about Russia hello. and Trump. And... Oh my gosh, I didn't even start it. <laughs> I literally just got into a huge debate about that the other day where I was like, y'all keep playing with these end times. You better yeah. make sure you're right with Jesus, but that's neither here nor there. It so... was in person, right? Not over right. Facebook. Oh, totally that's in good. person. That's no, good. I'm done. Those days are behind me. So. That's good. Um, But yeah, I think. <sighs> We're not giving, I don't think from my, and you know, somebody could disagree with this and I would gladly engage in that conversation, but I feel like there isn't like an explicit definition. I think there's certain Mm -hmm. things about women Mm -hmm. that are celebrated. Mm -hmm. I think with Ruth, it was her submissiveness and her following Naomi and then her laying at the feet of Boaz and Mm -hmm. like her working while waiting, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, She wasn't working like just to work forever and ever, amen. She was working and waiting, right? Um, We think about Esther and we think about the time of preparation. That was, I feel like those were the things that were highlighted that were taught to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Esther's time of preparation before she was chosen, right? Mm -hmm. As if, you know, being chosen and having a spouse is like the end all be all for a Mm -hmm. woman, which it's not. Singleness is great, women. If you are single, (laughs) I celebrate you. It is equal to marriage. It is a wonderful, viable lifestyle. Well, Paul says it's better than marriage. It is better. Well, here's the thing. This funny aside. I loved being single. My Uh husband will tell you it was a fight for me. Like while we were dating, I was like always looking for an out because I loved being (laughs) single. But that man, he's just so dang wonderful. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I loved being single. Mm -hmm. But I think we're we're shown this picture of women who are (laughs) waiting a man um, mm-hmm. and I think even when we look at Mother Mary like when we see her life um, it's this I can think back to times in my life where I was taught like oh my gosh if Joseph hadn't been this noble valiant man that like stepped in and stayed with her like who knows what would have, ha- have happened to Mary and I'm and now as an adult, I'm like, she was carrying the son of God. She would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Like the Lord would have provided in really mm-hmm. wonderful ways. Right. Anyway. So I think we see that's the narrative that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now when I take a step back as a 33 year old woman who emboldened by the Holy Spirit can look at the scriptures and say, like, Lord, what would you have me see today? I look at an Esther and I see. Yes, she was. She was a queen. She spent years in preparation and then she was somebody who took her life experience because she was a kid who did not have parents, mm-hmm. right? And I've worked with kids in that population before. And the two things that I know is they're gritty and they have street smarts, right? Mm-hmm. She took that and into her queenhood, right? Mm-hmm. Into her then mm-hmm. her becoming your majesty. Mm-hmm. She sought wise counsel, but she wasn't some she was not Mordecai's puppet, right? Yeah. She 
took that wise counsel and then she had to make decisions on her own alone in her room mm-hmm. where she where there was nobody around her that she could trust um, and she had to make decisions that then led to the freedom of a country like of a mm-hmm. nation of people that is not to be underestimated mm-hmm. um, to me that's underestimated <laughs> I love that taking that home um, and then she, yeah so I think that was that's part of that and I, when I think about like a Lydia in the book of Acts mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. my girl is a gangster she was a mm-hmm. Businesswoman, mm-hmm. she was she was like balling out of control to where she was able to house um, the Apostle Paul, and then she was able to fund his ministry. Like she, mm-hmm. and we don't really know what her family situation was like, but like to me, that is what a what a woman is shown to be in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Look at Deborah. Are you kidding me? Like mm-hmm. I mean, you just well when see... we think of like Queen Esther, yeah. When we think of even Queen mm-hmm. again, we're picturing the Queen of England. Yes, it's almost fragile, mm-hmm. petite, small, submissive. Even they mm-hmm. are Majesty, right. but it's Victorian. It's again, it's Victorian. When I'm like, mm-hmm. think of Queen Cleopatra. She was probably one of the most dominant, mm-hmm. strong, powerful figures we have ever seen in history. Totally. Um, but again, it's like, think of your queens as more, and I haven't seen the show, so I, I'm not recommending this show, but think of your queens more as Game of Thrones queens. Mm-hmm. Right. Than as, throat, right. you know, like England queens. Savvy. Like for history, the queens weren't this Victorian just figurehead. That's a great way. I mean, I love that imagery. I feel like they were savvy. They had to be intelligent and not necessarily intelligent for the sake of showing it off, but for the, for the sake of survival. Mm-hmm. Esther had to survive every time she went before the king. It wasn't like, you know, she was just walking into her husband's room like, hey, honey, I'm home. It was, I mean, the Bible is very it's clear. Like, like she Brady could Bunch, have died, you know? right? Every time. Right. It wasn't some like, oh, give mama a kiss because I'm here, you know. <laughs> The Bible's clear she could have died every time she entered mm-hmm. into his court. So it wasn't some – she had to be strategic. She had mm-hmm. to be thoughtful. She had to be aware. She had to be emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent, like, to be able to read the situation to know this mm-hmm. is the time. This is it. That – when I'm thinking about a woman, I'm like, that's – we have to have all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just – yeah. If I'm honest, I feel like that course of thinking when it comes to <clears> – <throat> looking at the Bible and understanding the Bible and not just in biblical times and context, but like, what does the Bible say about how we should live now? That kind of course of thinking isn't necessarily celebrated, mm-hmm. right? It isn't necessarily, mm-hmm. we're not taught to study the word of God like that. Um, and obviously we're not going to make things up, but there is such a thing as biblical imagination and there, the Holy Spirit gives us discernment to say like, God, what does this, what I'm reading right now, how does this inform how I am to live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see those scriptures, that speaks depths into defining mm-hmm. who I am to be as a woman. Yeah. And I think it also resonates with me a certain way because of my personality type, right? Mm-hmm. Because of how, mm-hmm. who I am. Um, well, that's the beautiful thing about scripture. I think regardless mm-hmm. of your personality type, you can probably find figures mm-hmm. who match that and show you, they show you an ideal maybe for your personality type, mm-hmm. even though they're not offering an ideal for all personality types, mm-hmm. other than Jesus, who is, right, right. He is, is the ideal. All. Right. Um, so maybe let's let's talk a little bit about the sexual narrative mm-hmm. um, in scripture and in culture for women. Because yeah. a, a little case study I like to do with people is I like to ask them, it's like, what was Mary Magdalene's past? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is true of everyone, but if I ask that question, I, I think a lot of times I get, well... I think like there's something that makes me want to feel like she was a prostitute or something like that, right? Yes, right. Um, no, like if you look <laughs> at scripture, she was the one that had seven demons cast out of her. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like a sexual past about her. It was actually a church father in 400 AD who took the story of the woman caught in adultery and said that was Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Um, so even one of our most prominent women figures has been over 
sexualized or over temptressed which is, I mean, throughout course of history, we're always yeah. viewing women as these temptress. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe can you talk a little bit about, since this is like a sex podcast generally, yep. <laughs> tell me about like the sexual narrative maybe you see in scripture for women mm-hmm. um, and how maybe the church or modern interpretation has gotten that wrong. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, let me start with where I think we've gotten it wrong. Yeah, um, and that's then, the easier one. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> I think scripture, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll go with what, where I think we've gotten it wrong. I think where I can say specifically where I feel like the church has gotten it wrong um, is just the living in the land of double standards. Mm-hmm. I think as a woman, mm-hmm. we live in that land um, where we are told we'll go back to modesty. We're told to dress and cover our bodies and that, you know, we can't, we shouldn't cause a man to stumble, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the words and the mm-hmm. language that we're given. Um, but our brothers in Christ are not told the same. Which the scripture talking about stumbling is don't cause a brother to stumble talking to another brother. Right. <laughs> right. And it's about like non-sexual stuff. It's a, like, No, it's, a... it's not right again. But I think when, but when you're talking to a but I can look at my own childhood when I'm, when somebody was talking to a group of girls that I was a part of, that was the language that was used and Mm -hmm. the stumbling block was always sexual. Mm -hmm. It was never Mm -hmm. like in his theology or in his faith or cause him to doubt. It was always like, don't cause him to lust after you. Uh Like that's Uh your responsibility. And all the responsibility was just heaped on me as the girl to make sure that I wasn't causing my brothers to have sexual thoughts about me where I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and like you wear one tank top or yoga pants and you get scolded and then the other guy down the street or down the road playing dodgeball has a shirt off waving around his nipples flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like it's Tight a body, pants, like, body's galore. Like, okay, right. You can see everything. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like, oh, he's just having fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's just having a great day. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, um, I'll never forget. I was at a, a pool party recently. This mm. is, and there was another pastor's wife there, and they were from a very, um, from a much more conservative um, church than. Well, I guess I'm just like you know flying buckshot here. <laughs> I was walking around with my baby in my arms, right, in mm-hmm. a one piece bathing suit, like mm-hmm. just the most mom situation mm-hmm. ever. And this woman looks at me and she goes, "You're a pastor." Oh my gosh! I mean, she. First of all. Hi, I'm Angela. Like that yeah. feels like the right way Look to start it, a conversation. I have a baby. Right. You see, I'm changing my child's <laughs> I'm a mother. diaper. Isn't that awesome? Right. Um anyway, like yeah, and she knew I was a pastor cuz my aunt had told her like whatever. So she knew that about me, but she didn't know me. She had mm-hmm. no context about me. like what she the first thing that came out of her mouth was, "You're a pastor?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah." And that's the toxic femininity. Yes, totally. Because you know, um, maybe she doesn't even believe that per se. Right. She, that's just well, what she was raised right. to think is right. And she's been held to that standard, so she holds you to that standard. Absolutely. And like, and I, it was just drenched in. You're a pastor. How dare you walk around mm-hmm. in this bathing suit with all these men here, mm-hmm. all of whom were my relatives? So like, come on, you know, yeah. whatever. But I think that because of that, and I think Pastor church, John gets to wear his tight shirt with his yes. tight pants while Ugh. preaching, and everyone's okay with it. Ugh, yes. <laughs> oh gosh, it's it's crazy. Because he's it's, for some reason, why are like? But we have to wear three just, layers. Maybe this is just white pastors. I don't know. But I feel like I see so many like 40 to 50 year old pastors who are just ripped. And I'm like, how do you have much time to do this? Like, I'm young. I, I have more time than you, I think. Right. And I don't have this kind of time to like do curl. Like what? I have lots of questions about yeah. that. I'm like, are you guys all on steroids? I don't understand. But anyway, you can tell because they all then wear the tight shirts. And yes. so when they point or something with their arms while they're it's preaching, like, it's the, bulge, <laughs> the right. bulging bicep. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. What's happening? Yeah. Can you yeah. even lift your arms above your yeah. head, buddy? Like. Yeah. 
lots of questions. It's causing the audience to stumble. So. It, it, well, I'm, not, I'm certainly not focused on the sermon. That's for sure. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. So I think with that, I think just... I think all with all this responsibility of not not being the conduits of lust, not being the ones that initiate sexual, you know, um, encounters or whatever. I think all of that has been heaped on women in the church. I think that when it comes to purity, like we as women are the ones who are responsible for keeping it, keeping our legs closed. Like mm-hmm. if I could just be frank, like mm-hmm. it always fell on us. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, my my brothers in the faith, like I never felt like we held equal responsibility mm-hmm. in that. Um yeah, and I think that when it came to like verses on sexuality um, in the Bible, first of all, they were always taken out of context. Now being an adult and being able to go back and look at them, like they were always taken out of context for me. And so um, I think I was at a church, not I think, I was at a church that was very legalistic. And so you would mm-hmm. just take that one scripture and since the word of God is inerrant and you know it mm-hmm. is this, the breathed word of God, then mm-hmm. this is this one scripture without context and without anything mm-hmm. around it, this is what it is and this mm-hmm. is what you must live by. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's just, again, been used to manipulate. It's been used to heap on this responsibility on women to like um, if if my sisters in Christ like ended up getting pregnant as teenagers, the, the guy was never held responsible. It was mm-hmm. always the girl and she well, was always the same ashamed. thing. I mean, I don't want to get into abortion yeah, because um, that's a whole nother topic. But yeah. with some of the laws trying to punish women, and I, I mean, I'm all against, you know, trying to end abortion, mm-hmm. but it's punishing. Like, we're going to charge women as murderers if they get an abortion. I'm like, well, yeah. we're going to charge the men too? Like, right. Well, we, I'll, t- I'll tell you, frankly, like part of my story is um, I have had an abortion. I had a mm-hmm. termination in my early 20s, um, and it was directly the result of an emotionally abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I can look back now and I can own my piece of it, but I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like if I had not been in that relationship with that person where they were, they had so much control over me, that would not have been the choice that I made. Mm-hmm. But that's not the narrative that is told. Mm-hmm. That's not the story that well, most we're of the time it's the boyfriend about. who's pressuring for the abortion. 100 percent. Because you're going to ruin his life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just forget about the fact that a woman's body goes through like massive trauma when yeah. she carries All and then delivers a child. All of your organs just move up a foot. Right. You're, you're never the same again. You, uh-huh. I mean, you pee when you sneeze. Like, it's a mess, okay? <laughs> so much happens to the woman body. Look, girls, if you ever want to talk about what happens to your body, I will <laughs> gladly take a phone call after the, you listen to this podcast and I'll give you the real, the things that nobody ever told me. Talk about sneezing, peeing. Right, exactly. <laughs> anyway, but all of that, like, it just gets like, dumped onto the woman and I'm like first of all I did not I'm not married right I did not mm-hmm. get pregnant by myself um and I think that yeah I just think that just because and oh, this part makes me really mad simply because the result of let's say sex outside of marriage is a very physical manifestation mm-hmm. of what happened when they with that fall like the the silent sins, right? Those those quiet sins that our brothers mm-hmm. can carry and it never manifests physically possibly. Mm-hmm. There's there's just an unequal amount of yeah. shame and guilt and like Well, guys yeah. can look at porn, but girls can't have to be virgins. Like 100%. guys can watch people having sex a million times. I mean, right. that's true of my own story. And I even remember in high school being like I'm only going to marry a mer- virgin cuz I've kept that vow, you know, in right. terms of physical or whatever. And I'm like <laughs> like a year later I'm just like Wait a second. The amount of videos I have seen in my past, I'm like, how does that equate at all? This Dude. is a complete double standard. And another another thought experiment I like experiment I like to do, mm-hmm. um, especially with people, is like, okay, when I say the word doctor, mm-hmm. who are you picturing? 
my OBGYN. Yeah, or no, oh. like uh, oh, yeah, yeah. he's a dude. Oh no, yeah, he's a, a dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but even when I picture my OB, it's a dude. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, when I say the word leader, what do you think of? I think of a oh, I dude actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sad. And when I when I say professor, yeah. when I say le- like teacher, when I say captain, mm. um, when I say you know powerful, when I say strong, mm-hmm. who are you thinking of? It's all men. And okay, when I say purity. Oh, what are you thinking of? When I say like modesty. a 14-year-old girl. When I say virginity. Yeah, 16-year-old girl, yeah. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's and so, it. Oh, my gosh. Standing in front of her dad on the uh-huh. pulpit of the church in front of the whole congregation, taking that purity ring and yeah. saying the prayer and saying the right thing. And it's not and like judgment or shame if you think those not. things. Because we still, I no. mean, even this moment, I was thinking of a bunch of white men and then a bunch of, like, younger women for yeah. the, the sexual ones. But even yeah. showing, like, men, it's all of these personality traits according to scripture mm-hmm. and the women are confined to sexual purity and nurturing yeah. like that's kind of the, the market and the thing is like this is the other side of it is you know i'm raising a nine-year-old my bonus daughter and i'm raising another girl who like thankfully she's still just a baby but with my nine-year-old like do i want her to choose to save herself for marriage? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I yes, know that's God yes. honoring. It's honoring her body. It's biblically accurate. Like that's what, that's the life that Jesus would Virginity have her live, right? It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. But I think when it's steeped, but I will never ever tell her that sex is bad. Like we've already had conversations with her where I, she like asked where babies come from when I was pregnant. I was like, well, me and your dad really love each other and we had sex. And like we had that whole conversation mm-hmm. about it. And, and, and she was like- you you should have just told her about a stork in some faraway place? Uh, Don't you think that would have been more helpful? No, let me tell you. I should have done what my parents <laughs> did for me. kid? They should have drawn a picture. That's what I should have done. Because that's what my parents did. And Why God bless their hearts. Why by lying to their kids? Yes. That somehow that's better for them. Because when they get to 15 uh, and they find out that you lie to them, it's like when they find out Santa isn't real. Dude. It's devastating. It's all about trust, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I think from a... I think there's two sides of it. I think from the parent side of it, there's this like need to preserve something in your child mm-hmm. that the world is really quick to take away at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world that we live in, we have 12 year olds that walk around, 10 year olds that walk around with the whole internet in their pocket, right? Oh, yeah. So Eight the world olds. is quick, right? The <laughs> world is quick to take it away. Um, and so I think for parents, it's like, okay, how can I preserve an mm-hmm. and. A, Ultimately, what it comes down to is a lack of self-awareness and a lack mm-hmm. of like being self-emboldened and empowered. And so when you yourself don't have the tools and you don't have a healthy view of sexuality, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. your view of sexuality has been either warped by porn or by the church or by mm-hmm. whatever, right? There's a mm-hmm. myriad of things that could warp mm-hmm. our view on sex. Hollywood how, probably is the big one. Oh, dude. Then how the heck do you communicate it to your mm-hmm. nine and 10 year old, right? Yeah. When you haven't even taken the time and sat on a therapist couch and worked mm-hmm. it out yourself. Yeah. How the hell? Heck. Sorry. No, you can okay. swear. I don't care. Great. Okay. <laughs> People How swear you, all the time. Great. Oh, fantastic. I've, just made it, I've made it 38 episodes so far without swearing. So I figured this is Wonderful. like a little project now. <laughs> okay, great. I'll say my It's like, how the hell are you supposed to communicate it to your kid yeah. when you haven't worked it out yourself? Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where, again, they're listening. They're probably thinking, Angela, you talk to your kid when she's nine? Like, that's a little mm-hmm. too young. Well, it's not that we're saying get raunchy with them. No. Like, but you don't have to lie to them. There's, It's right. not like an either or. Either I have to tell them the super raunchy detail of what sex is at too mm-hmm. young of an age mm-hmm. or I lie to them. It's like, no, you can give them pieces without lying to them. 100%. Um, or say it broadly and as they get older, you get more specific. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's normally like... They're too young. They're too young. Like, yeah, they are too young for the raunchy sex talk. Dude, yeah. Uh, but they're not too young to, like, 
hear a general truth about what happened. Yeah, and they don't they're not too young. She's not too young to hear from me and her dad what God says about it and what God mm-hmm. thinks about it. Mm-hmm. Because we've been having conversations about faith since she was let's see I've been in her life since she was 6 and her dad has done a wonderful job of discipling her. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, she's Having a conversation about faith actually holds hands very closely with having conversations mm-hmm. about sex and intimacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it flows from the other. Absolutely. It's just it's trust. You it build, is. You build trust in one area and you can take it to the other. Totally. And so that was really how we we coupled it really nicely. And I feel like we had a great conversation about marriage and about um, the beauty in it and about the excitement that she has to look forward to with it. Um, we didn't mm-hmm. make it scary. We didn't make it some like looming thing. I think for he and I both, we fought really hard to paint a really beautiful picture about sex while also talking about like this is actually you know how we talk about honoring god at school and with your friends and in Mm -hmm. your relationship with us like we believe that god has like says something about how we honor god with our bodies too Mm -hmm. and so um well and the reality is i mean i've talked about this in other podcasts the Mm -hmm. average age of porn exposure for kids is 10 yes like or first exposure for my generation and the generation underneath me so yeah in a year the average yeah. classmate is going to have looked at porn, people having sex. And if you haven't even talked to her about it, yeah, she's still developmentally. I've studied psychology and childhood development. Mm-hmm. She's still very young for this. Right. But the reality is all our friends are getting exposed to way young. So almost you need to get ahead of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Anyway, moving from sex talks. Yes, <laughs> to totally. Back to a little femininity and womanhood, although it's all connected. Okay, so if the Bible doesn't necessarily give us women have to be nurturing or women Mm -hmm. have to be this or have Mm -hmm. to be that, but more it's how has God crafted your personality? What has providentially been your life experience? Like Esther, you didn't have parents, so you became more street smart and gritty, and so you actually got to use that. Mm -hmm. So there's an aspect of your experience. So with all these things, there's maybe not an ideal woman, but there's an ideal way of living for you Mm -hmm. as a person and personality. So how do we be, well, not me, but how do women be women, Christian women in 21st century America? Yeah. With fast fashion, supermodels, Hollywood, unfair expectations, women's liberation, free the nipple, all these different things. How do women be faithful Christian women Mm -hmm. in the 21st century America? This episode will release in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the next decade, you have 10 years (laughs) to look forward to. How do you want women living or thinking about what it means to be a woman in the midst of this culture? Hmm. Um, as you were right, the first thing that comes to my mind um, is I want our women, especially women who are listening to this, who are followers of God, like follow Jesus, like deeply follow Jesus um, and understand that. Jesus has something to say about every single aspect of our lives. I think, um, so I struggle with anxiety. And one of the things that I realized about my anxiety is that there were part, it wasn't like big, huge things that happened in my life that made me feel like, uh, that brought on my anxiety. It was the little areas of my life that I had just stopped submitting to the Lord, Hmm. that I had stopped trusting him. I had stopped asking him what he thought about those things. And I stopped allowing scripture to inform those areas of my life because, you know, I'm a strong, independent woman, Colton, right? right? And so um, clearly I can handle those things. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize is that the deeper I believed that lie, um, the more I was, the farther and farther I was away from God. Mm -hmm. He wasn't far from me, but the farther I was and the farther my heart was away Mm -hmm. from God. So when I think about how does a woman embrace being um, a woman and a woman of faith in the 20, in this time, in this season, um, do not ever stop pursuing what God says about you. 
Don't ever stop pursuing the truth of what who God says you are. And that comes from digging into his word and the truth. Just look at the fruit of the spirit. Our, if we are to be, if we are, if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then there is fruit that is supposed to be born out of our lives. Are we living faithfully to that fruit being born out of our lives? That's what it means to be a woman, right? Mm-hmm. If we are, if we are understanding what it means to live in mutual submission, if we are in a marriage relationship, if we are in that marriage covenant, are we being faithful to our marriage covenant and saying mm-hmm. like, I'm going to love you husband the way Christ loves the church and you're going to love, and I'm going to, you're going to love me the way Jesus loves me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mutual submission. It has nothing to do with being weak or lesser mm-hmm. or nothing. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with my life is about out serving you. Mm-hmm. And you entered this covenant where you promised to outserve me. Mm-hmm. And so that's us, right? We're in this mm-hmm. cycle of just outserving each other and loving each other the way Jesus loves us. Are we, if that's your marriage covenant, if you're single, are you being faithful and using every single gift that God has given you to serve both your community, your church? Are you fighting for justice? Like, mm-hmm. are those are things, are those things that you're advocating for? And obviously I advocate for those things as a married mm-hmm. woman too, mm-hmm. but I think being single, you have a very special mm-hmm. opportunity mm-hmm. to do those things. Mm-hmm. So are you being faithful to who God's called you to be and what God says about you? Now, different people will be on their different journeys of faith, right? Not everybody's in the same place where you can be like, Angela, I'm not here from the lord like that okay great i guarantee you that if you ask the lord to bring wise counsel and wise women and men into your life who can speak into your life um in a way that's healthy in a way that is it has boundaries right where mm-hmm. um all of those things are in place the lord will show you through healthy community mm-hmm. um, through authentic community what it looks like to live into the fullness of who you are yeah. and you know if i'm honest i feel like I wasn't even given that space to do those things and and receive that kind of feedback. I mean, I didn't get that until like maybe four or five years ago. And mm-hmm. even even being a leader most of my life, even being in spaces, I didn't have people looking me in the eye and say, Angela, like the fact that you are organized and you can take a vision and make it happen, like that is something that I celebrate about you. I, I always thought that was a bad thing. I always thought like, oh man, I just get so caught up in details and that stresses me out like, I never had anybody celebrate things about me. Mm-hmm. So to a woman, my deepest heart would be for you to seek the Lord, like ask him who how, who he's crafted you to be. Look in the scriptures, like read over Psalm 139 until you're blue in the face and then mm-hmm. ask the Lord, God, what does this say about me? What, how does this scripture inform my life and my heart and my personality? Mm-hmm. Um, and then find those spaces where you can thrive. Um, don't settle for spaces that will ever quiet any part of who you are. Yeah. Um, there's a time and a place in different seasons, right, for different parts of you to be highlighted. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But do not ever settle for somebody trying to silence or take away the Imago day that's in you. Yeah. Um, that's just unacceptable. Um, yeah. And I think for too long, women have been oppressed and, and, and silenced and shut down and, you know, told just different narratives in different areas that uh, – I think for now it's time for that to like, it's just time for that shit to stop. Mm-hmm. So it's time mm-hmm. for that to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's time for us to live into literally the fullness and know that the people around you will actually miss out. Again, I said this earlier, they will miss out on a full expression of God if you do not live into yeah. that. Right. Yeah. Um, and what a tragedy. Yeah. No, that's big. That's so big. Yeah. So you, you mentioned single women. Um, and before we get into some like hopes for women specifically, maybe don't fit the gender stereotypes mm-hmm. or for the church, um, with single women, I think in the church specifically, they're maybe the one subgroup, single adult women 
who might be the most disempowered. Right. Um, like single men are, we, the church loves marriage for one, and we right. only like hiring married pastors. Um, but single men, for the most part, still can kind of get a voice. There's still some questions once you get past the age of 30. Mm-hmm. But what would you maybe say to a woman who's 26 and single, 32 and single, 45 and single, maybe never been married? Mm-hmm. How can she live out her gifting and personality when it seems like in a lot of ways the church isn't really comfortable with older single women? Yeah. Um, like we're just not comfortable with their voices. We're not comfortable with singleness in general, especially after the age of 25. For sure. Um, but I think specifically <laughs> yeah. for women, um, they, they're really disempowered. So how, how can they be empowered in their gifting? Yeah, I think first, um, while there will always, not well always, there should always be a place for you in the church to serve and use your gifts, whether that is in administrative giftings, whether that is in kids ministry, whether it's youth ministry, preaching, whatever. There, the church should always fight for a space for women to have a seat at the table. And if the church isn't doing like the women in those churches should be fighting for our single women mm-hmm. to have spaces at the table. Um, that's first. But if it's not in the church, there is for sure a space in the world where the Lord has gifted her the the giftings and the voice to speak into uh, the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think being single, you have an opportunity to spend time in different kinds of circles with different kinds of people um, who aren't bound. You're not bound by getting home by a certain time because you have like carpool pickup and you're Mm -hmm. not bound by, well, for the most part, um, (laughs) shout out to my single moms. Then, you know, you're not bound by those certain things that necessarily hold. um, I'll just say even myself as a married woman, like, I have to think through my night meetings if it's going to fall on a certain night or whatever, if I have my bonus daughter. So those things are constraints on my life. But for my single sisters, like, man, there's just so much opportunity to explore the depth and the width of how God desires for you to express your giftings in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's no limit. Like there really, there shouldn't be a limit, right, Um, on that. And then like, how is God asking you to serve, right? Mm -hmm. How's God asking you to serve in your community, um, in your church, with your neighbors, with your family. Um, I think as single women, there was a very, it's a very special, unique season to be able to do that. And if God's never called you to marriage, then how has God called you to other women? Mm -hmm. How has he called you to be a disciple maker? Right. Because Mm -hmm. I think that in and of itself, if you're a 45 year old single woman, man, you are a hot commodity in my mind. Cause that's like prime mentor material Mm -hmm. because you have Mm -hmm. time, you have availability, you're accessible. And and living in the culture we've been in, you probably had to suffer through a lot more than everyone else. So you have a, experience and wisdom that married women at 45 probably or may not have absolutely and so for me i'm like dude if i'm if you're a 45 single christian woman who's worked in the marketplace your whole life and Mm -hmm. i'm a woman who's like fresh out of college in the marketplace (laughs) are you kidding me that is prime mentor material um and so just understanding like god is not done he is not done writing Mm -hmm. your story and there's so much that he has to say about your life and there is jesus came john 10 10 it's so clear that jesus came so that we could live life to the full like Mm -hmm. not it's not lacking it's literally without lack which Mm -hmm. i think that is one of the biggest misnomers when it comes to singleness is that especially for single women who hit a certain age you know past Mm -hmm. 30 or whatever um that for some reason or another there is a lack in your life Mm -hmm. what would it look like if you just lived like your life was without lack Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, how would your life be different? How could your life like be more colorful if you just realized you were living yeah. without lack? 
Yeah. So maybe what what is your hope for the church mm-hmm. and interacting with femininity and interacting with womanhood, yeah. even with the idea of it, but also in the practice of it and yeah. with their women? Mm-hmm. Um, what can the church do differently? What should the church be kind of moving towards sure. um, in terms of women and femininity and womanhood? Um, my hope for the church, and I'm absolutely including myself in this, mm-hmm. um, regardless of however woke I think I am. I always have space <laughs> to learn and grow, right? Um, no, once, you, once you're once you woke, you're awake now. That's it. So there's you no, never you need to learn like, again. get more awake. Right. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, I think my hope for the church um, would be that we would do two things. One, that we would see our women as enough, just as they are, right? We all have room to grow. We're all on this sanctification. That might be a trigger word, whatever. We're all mm-hmm. in this journey of faith um, where we're, really fighting to look more and more like Jesus, right? If we are, mm-hmm. but if we are believers, but then too, that even if you are in a space where you don't know how to make space at the table for a woman, would you bring people around you that do, right? Mm-hmm. Would you not, if you know better, and mm-hmm. even if you don't know what to do, ask somebody, seek mm-hmm. wisdom, seek counsel of what does it look like to build an inclusive environment that allows women, regardless of their expression of gifts, to really live into the fullness of who God is calling them to mm-hmm. be. Um, so those would be, I think those are my two hopes yeah. for the church and that we just don't stop, right? Let's just take off any lids or limitations or expectations or whatever on how women are supposed to be and what it would it look like if we just followed the model of Jesus. Mm-hmm. What if we just stepped into people's lives right where they are loved them right where they are and then allowed that love um, and that encounter with Jesus to then impact and shape who they become. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's from a Brene Brown book or if it's from somewhere else or from Ariana Malloy, who's a professor here on campus. But I remember mm. hearing this story about the military was trying to figure out how do we like, uh, not like disciple, that's not the right word because of the military, mm-hmm. but kind of grow our women leaders. Mm-hmm. How do we have more women leaders? How mm-hmm. do we raise them into leadership? How do we do that as an organization? Um, and the problem was, is they're like, man, we, we don't have women mentors. Like we yeah. can't, we don't have women mentors. And so what they, the conclusion, which is, I think is a good conclusion they came to is that, you know what, we men then have to mentor them yeah. until there are more women mentors who can mm-hmm. mentor them. It's not like we're going to hand it off now. They're hopefully still going to do it. When I think of the church, church has that same problem. Yeah. I was speaking with an older man. He's a married man um, in his fifties. And he was asking me, like, do you have deep relationships with women or even, like, mentor relationships? And I said, yeah, I, I do, I think. Um, and he said, really? Hmm. Um, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what's the problem with that? And he's like, I mean, for me, like, I could just never, like, the sexual tension, like, are they attractive Whoa. girls and Whoa. yada, yada, all the different things. And I'm like, Whew. yeah, I know. <laughs> that just, like, sent a shiver literally I down know. my spine. Oh, my I gosh. Know. Okay. Um, and I'm like, but that's such a shallow way of living. Like, yeah. if you can only be friends with men and only mm-hmm. mentor men, then you can't have a spot at the table for women. Mm-hmm. You can't be inclusive. No matter mm-hmm. how much you try to preach the inclusivity of God and there's no me- male or female and all these different things, mm-hmm. if you are so, you know, haven't worked through your own baggage, haven't gone through counseling, and so you're so scared of sitting with a woman because mm-hmm. of the Billy Graham rule, which in some ways is a good idea, in other ways is completely toxic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm like, this is, since we live in a patriarchal culture, still in some way, male normativity culture, right. um, then that mm-hmm. means there's going to be more male leaders. Mm-hmm. That means there's going to be more male CEOs. Mm-hmm. That means there's more male pastors. Yep. 
So if we want to raise up women in leadership, mm-hmm. we can't wait for the other women to do it because there's not enough of them currently in leadership oh, to mentor them. Absolutely not. Yeah. And But we're too scared as males to mentor them. And so that's why, I, I mean, with the girl that you're talking about, if they're like, there's no space for you in the church and admin, then go somewhere else kind of mm-hmm. thing. And that, to me, I'm like, first I was like, no, I want to be selfish, stay in the church. But then yeah. I'm like, well, the good news is, is that if the church isn't providing a space for you. Mm-hmm. The good news is that the church isn't a building. It's not a denomination. Say it's, that. It's not all these things. You are the church. We are the church. And so That's right. if you decide to go in the nonprofit spectrum or go into the CEO world or the business world or the nursing world, and you're not serving in a church in a high capacity because they're not making space for you, you're still serving the church. Hello. Um, and so that's that's like one of those things at first, my first thought was like, no, like stay in the church. Like we need you. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm asking them to stay in a building, to stay yeah. in a structure. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's just a little church. I want them to stay in the big C church. Right. Um, I hope they're involved in the little C church, but right. that's not their, necessarily their fault. Absolutely. If not. And I think too, like, so I want to go back to something that you said. First, I want to yes and amen that is that the church is not com- not confined, right? And I'm a huge believer in the and big everyone C believes church. that, but people don't live that, right? I'm. Personally, I love the church. I love the Big C Church, and I love the local church. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Like I believe that God for those churches that are, you know, fighting for being multi-ethnic, for those churches that are fighting for being inclusive. Like I believe that God is writing a different narrative in mm-hmm. our culture today, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that um, the Holy Spirit. There's a stirring. There's an expectation that is now awakening. I want to go back to something else that you said earlier, though. I think when there are when when I do find my brothers who are afraid of mm-hmm. engaging in relationship with women from that from that perspective i mean part of it is i can't blame them i think that i also was raised in i was raised with the mentality of like no men can't be friends with women like mm-hmm. for sure that well, was we like are just, in a hyper sexualized culture oh yeah like you can't be friends because it'll just turn sexual and right the problem is i mean to get real real i was looking at like um, not on Pornhub, but mm-hmm. Pornhub's one of the biggest porn sites, and they release at the end of the year like their demographics, all of their studies. It's it's fascinating if I you're bet. into like porn research. Um, but consistently every year, there's always like it's 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 weird, and I, I'll talk about it in every episode maybe. But it's always like stepmom like searches, teen searches, all these different things. So guys who have consumed porn they are watching simulations of power differential, of age differential Mm -hmm. that is being eroticized for them. And so then therefore, of course, if you've been exposed to so much porn, even if you're not looking at it anymore and even if you feel like you're healthy, that's still lingering in the back of your head because it's over-sexualized. The teen Mm. has been over-sexualized. The the power differential has been over-sexualized. The almost rape has been over-sexualized um, and, and fetishized. And so yeah. I get why they're scared. And mm-hmm. to me, some of them shouldn't. Maybe a lot of them shouldn't meet with women. Right. Um, but I'm saying you shouldn't right now work through that baggage. For sure. Get healthy boundaries in, sure. your, in your life. Right. So that you can. It's Don't Absolutely. just be like, oh, since I can't do it right now, that must mean this is not the God-given way to do it. Mm-hmm. I must. Billy Graham was right. I'm like, no, I think that's more of a fragile way. It's the both and. I don't I I actually I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Uh I don't I don't think that's how we can live our lives. That's that's not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. That's not that and that's not what we saw Jesus do. So like we saw Jesus enter into we saw him cross gender boundaries. Mm -hmm. We saw him cross cultural boundaries. When you get into the reality of gay men and gay women in the church. Yeah. What Uh, now since we're only men are only allowed to meet with men, but that's the gender they're attracted to. So can he only meet yeah. with women? Right. <laughs> I have so many friends that are pastors and are gay. Oh. Um, hold to traditional framework. 
but they're like wait am i not allowed to be in the boys cabin then for youth group um do i have to go in the girls cabin they're like no 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 and it's like well then why i'm not saying guys need to be in girls cabins now yeah (laughs) but it's like why are we so scared of this when you know we have to make accommodations for our gay pastors Mm. um but anyway that's a different tangent but yeah I think in, in line with what you were saying of like, yeah, you need to work I think, on that. yeah, I think there's a, there has to be, I think while we need, just cause we're humans, I think we do need like understandings of what a boundaries look like, mm-hmm. what a healthy boundaries mm-hmm. look like. And when um, those boundaries get crossed, yes. the ability to talk to someone. Well, to living in integrity, it. right? Exactly. Like how do you, you have to live with boundaries and you have to live with integrity. Mm-hmm. First of all, you shouldn't be in pastoral ministry if you can't hold those two <laughs> yeah. things. Okay. Let's just start there. If you can't meet with a, a younger girl staff member without feeling you might be sexually overcome that's not her fault that's not even the situation's fault right something in you yes it's not her fault and i think yeah i think that that's just been abused if Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be frank um and i think that it comes down to like healthy community and being able to be honest with yourself i think harvard business review um released an article where they said the number one attribute of a healthy leader is self-awareness Right. Mm. Self-awareness. Now, I think. All right. Imagine that. (laughs) You know, I think that's such a buzzword in today's culture. Mm -hmm. But I think and I, you know, again, I'm going to be hyper. I'm hypersensitive to it because, again, the Enneagram has changed my life. It transformed Mm -hmm. the way I see myself and the way I interact with others. Um, But I think that if you aren't whatever your tool is, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC or Enneagram, whatever, Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to do the gritty work of looking at yourself in the mirror and being honest with yourself, why? What are you doing in leadership? Right. How the heck are you going to lead others to an honest, authentic place before the Lord? Because I read this great book called Inside Out by Dr. Larry Crabb. And one of the things that he says in the book is we cannot have a proper view, like in reverence for the cross, unless we are deeply aware of the depravity of our Mm -hmm. sin. Right. And so those two things. They have to hold hands. And in your leadership, if you're not willing to be honest with yourself of, yes, I struggle with lust. And in Mm -hmm. this season of my life, I am more tender to it than in other seasons. Come on. You got to be willing to like say Mm -hmm. that out loud to an accountability partner, to another pastor, to somebody who can say, okay, how can we like set up some healthy boundaries in your life so that as you're navigating through this season towards health, then we don't like. That's what it means like that we can we can help protect we can help guard mm-hmm. your heart and we can help guard your mind right mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus and so yeah. I have I mean man that gives me really fired up but I feel like there is a it's a both and you, we need healthy boundaries right because mm-hmm. the reality is and the reality is there are some people who thrive in those power structures, Colton. There are mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. who will absolutely say, hear what I'm saying and say, ooh, okay, so I can go and like mentor somebody and then manipulate them. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden now I've got like a team of minions who just do everything I say because I've been able to take advantage of this power differential, right? That's why a lot of people go into pastoral ministry. Oh, it's for it's, the influence and power. Oh, it, it's right. subconscious. That's not, they right. don't know that's why, but it makes them feel powerful. It makes right. them feel important. Rich, makes if, them, which the life of a pastor is actually like the total antithesis mm-hmm. of that. Well, and I've been through seminary with enough guys. It's mostly guys, a few mm-hmm. women. Um, and that's, I mean, half these guys, I'm like, you're just in this because you're fragile and insecure and in you, who you are. And not in a shaming way saying that. But yeah. are you drawn to pastoral ministry because you feel like this is your gifting and leadership and whatever? Or is this because you're trying to compensate for areas that you're insecure about? Yeah. And that's okay if you are. Yeah. But then it's power is going to be, it's power is going to destroy you. It's not going to make you feel whole. If anything, not going to just destroy you. It's going to destroy yeah, your flock, when you're right? Yeah, so Well, that also else. so that that was my part of my story too. Is like the, one of the churches that I grew up in. Like the pastor ended up, you know, 
it came out that there was like sexual assault allegations against mm-hmm. like nine women in the church and it was because there were like women who were going through divorce that he was counseling right uh-huh. behind closed doors nobody yeah. like not even there wasn't even like a peak window on his door so mm-hmm. like there was literally literally closed doors there was no yeah. w- no way for anybody to see what was happening um and those women were like you know oppressed into silence because it's the mm-hmm. pastor and he didn't do anything wrong and i don't want to mar his reputation well, and whatever, people will so. see his story and be like well the, we need to do the billy graham rule and it's like no just right. because this guy couldn't control himself doesn't mean we need to it's again you're not blaming the dude nope. you're saying oh that dude's fine. It was the situation's fault. And that for sure happened. Yeah. Right. Like that. Yeah. And I think that was the hardest part for me. Where I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. He was very wrong. <laughs> yeah. He needs some counseling and lots of help and yeah. some healthy boundaries and maybe some time away from yeah. ministry. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So all that to say, like, I just think that those it's it's just not mutually exclusive. Yeah. We can't and we can never fool ourselves because we are still broken humans. Right. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter, again, how self-aware you get, how healthy you are, whatever. You still must be honest with yourself and mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah, we're still broken, flawed humans mm-hmm. and who are just trying to navigate the ways mm-hmm. of this world. Um, so just recognize that we live in a fallen world and this is always yeah. going to be like it's just the water that we're swimming in. Yeah. Well, and self-awareness is hard for two reasons. First. If you ask anyone if they're self-aware, they're not going to say no for the most part. <laughs> so you always <laughs> think you're self-aware. You always think you know yourself more than you do. Totally. And two, some people have a wrong view of self-awareness where they think, oh, yeah, like I bite my fingernails sometimes. It's a nasty habit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get angry and yell. I'm like, that's that, that's not really self-aware. That's being aware of what you do sometimes. That's not self-awareness. Mm-hmm. But anyway, moving from that because – People get the point, hopefully, yeah, <laughs> and they sure. should by seeing all these pastors falling, mm-hmm. um, which is related to femininity. One If you don't see the connection, then you need to go re-listen to this episode. Yeah. Um, let's say this is our last question. Let's say there's a woman listening to this who doesn't fit the American Christian ideal stereotype mm-hmm. of what it means to be a woman. Mm-hmm. What would be your hope for women and femininity going forward? Yeah, my hope, my hope for her would be. <laughs> that she would know that she's enough just the way she is. Um, and that even if there isn't a context for her and her immediate surrounding, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm looking for a scripture really quick. Um, sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry for, I'm not sorry for that. Um, is it Proverbs 31? No, (laughs) no, no, no. Um, yeah, it's just 139. I have this scripture literally tattooed on my foot. Um, but it says here, like, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Um, for And then down on verse 13, it says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. One of the things I love about verse 14 specifically, um, it doesn't say like your, even though this is true, it doesn't say here, David doesn't say your works are perfect. I know it well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He says your works are wonderful. And while, mm-hmm. while God's works are perfect and they're good, that's he makes it very clear in Genesis, his works are good. Um, it says your works are wonderful. Um, I think sometimes when my sisters don't necessarily feel like they fit into a mold, it can be a really lonely place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can fall into the belief that you are alone um, and that can cause you to act from that place and live from that place of like loneliness and being alone. However, 
Um, that's completely counter to the heart of God. He doesn't want you to feel alone because you're not alone. He's so ever present and so with you. And he is intimately and deeply aware of your current circumstances. Um, and he's intimately and deeply aware of the next step and what's coming next and the future that he's laid out before you and the futures that he's laid out before you. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that would be my, that would be my hope is that don't fret if it feels lonely right now trust that the Lord will bring you physical community and that his spirit will give you like a deep comfort that satisfies your soul in mm-hmm. a way that um, is beyond comprehension um, and that it's not your responsibility to make people understand you mm-hmm. right like it's not your responsibility to um, to cause people to get who you are it's mm-hmm. simply your responsibility to live into the fullness of who God has created you to be and that mm-hmm. in and of itself will be invitational for the right people in the mm-hmm. right seasons in the right time. Um, and hopefully the church gets together and says mm-hmm. like, oh man, you're enough just, as, just the way you are. I need you. I need people like you mm-hmm. in my circle and I want people like you in my life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would be, that'd be my yeah. heart for those sisters. Yeah. It's been good. It's been mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. And if you're a man listening to this, and I hope there's been listening to this episode. Totally. Um, be a champion of women. Um, mm-hmm. Be willing to lay down and get uncomfortable and lay down some of your male normativity um, to, to uplift a woman, to, to let them know they're included, that they belong, that they can be confident, they can be powerful, they can be strong, they can be nurturing as well. It's going to be uncomfortable for you to do that as a male. It's going to be uncomfortable, especially if you're a pastor, um, mm-hmm. if you're in a position of power or leadership, mm-hmm. because what feels like elevating a woman might feel like getting you off the pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and that's really hard, and I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, not saying privilege, not saying patriarchy. It's just male normativity. We mm-hmm. are used to men being doctors, professors, leaders, all these things. And what it does is it squashes women in the process. Mm-hmm. So just be open to what this podcast says. And if you didn't get it and you're like, I don't agree with Angela, listen to it one more time and then you're allowed to disagree. Totally. <laughs> that's, that's your, that's your choice. And I, and I love that too. I do. I, I, and that's the invitation, right? That is the invitation. Cause we all, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the invitation. Yeah. There, and so. I need you to listen to it another time. So I get more view counts. Amen. So that's, that's the big deal. That's right. Yeah. And followers <laughs> on Instagram. That measures your worth Colton. Okay. Yeah, that's your true. whole. <laughs> it's true. I'm probably going to get off Instagram in the next year. But anyway, thanks so much, Angela. Yeah, Appreciate my this. pleasure. Thank you. We hope that Angela's words today encouraged you in your femininity, reframed how you view womanhood, and ultimately made you feel hope for the reality of being a woman in 21st century America. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.